Welcome to the Firehouse. I'm your host, Captain Kyle Smith. You're responding down the road less traveled and route to financial freedom. If you're a first responder, then planning your future through financial literacy is a minimum requirement. This isn't financial advice, just a conversation to get your wheels turning. Ready? Good. Because you're at scene. What's up, everyone? It's Captain Kyle Smith, and this week I sat down for a morning meeting with friend and real estate flipper Caleb Rigby. Caleb's the owner of Rigby Homes, and he goes through his process of buying, rehabbing, and then reselling homes at a profit. He has a system dialed in, and he goes through it step by step with us. Hope you guys enjoy it. Caleb, welcome to the bullpen. Thanks for meeting me. Awesome. Thanks, thanks, Kyle. Super excited to be here. Yeah, man, me too. Uh, I've been trying to get you on the uh, the morning meeting here for quite a while. We were finally able to connect, man. I'm I'm really excited to hear about your first alarm. But uh, hey, before we get into that, how how have things been going with the pandemic in the Rigby household? Um, honestly, things things have been things have been great. Um, our so last last year, our kids, um, I mean, like everyone had to had to come home, and we we became teachers on the on the spot. And while that while that tried our patience, I think it made us understand where where son and daughter were. Um, so I think we grew closer closer that way. Now they're now they're going four days a week. Um, super grateful for teachers and everything they do. Um, and then and then business business wise, I mean it's it's actually uh, helped and we can I'm sure we'll get into get into that but um, the market right now in Utah is crazy yeah yeah no it's been absolutely going off um, I've been tracking it myself actually um, and have seen some of the some of the markets out there are just going bonkers it's it's incredible but uh, the piece about you know bringing the kids home and becoming teachers is it's important right because number one it gives you a greater respect for for what the teachers are actually having to deal with but then two is it's like you're getting that quality time and and they're under your own roof again. And, and for us, it's been, you know, a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways. It's been challenging. Don't get me wrong. But um, there's been a lot of really good silver lining related to this thing. And, you know, while we're probably trending towards, you know, the flattening of the curve and all that, um, I think in a way we might look back on this time in our lives um, with some really good memories. But um that's cool. Well, yeah, man, I'm anxious to get this uh, first alarm going, so why don't we do it? Sounds good. All right, cool. Well, first alarm assignment on the San Diego Fire Department, Caleb, consists of four engines and a truck, but here at the firehouse, I'll ask you four questions. You give us one piece of advice. You ready? Okay. Sounds All right, good. Cool. cool. So uh, you're going to be first in on your first alarm, and a first in when you're first in on your first alarm, you got to give a size up, and that's who you are, where you were, and how long you've been doing it. Perfect. Uh, so... Caleb Rigby, born and raised in Utah. Uh, I own a house flipping company here in here in Utah, Rigby Home Rigby Home Buyers. Awesome. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, five five years, but only two years full time. Uh, I quit my quit my day job in April of 2019. Right on, man. Good for you. Um, for those folks that are listening, Caleb, who aren't really familiar with flipping, maybe they've kind of heard it, heard of it, you know, don't really know that much about it. Can you just explain exactly what a flipping business is and then what made you quit your day job and get into flipping in general? Yeah. Um, so flipping in, in general is you're, you're, you're trying to buy a dist distressed house. It's, uh, 
there's a reason that they're selling to a to a flipper because it needs a lot of repairs um it can't get financed so you're you're finding a distressed house you're trying to buy it at a discount so that of course you can make you can make money so you're going in there you're doing all of the updates um it's not as glamorous as it as they show it on the tv tv shows and and we've kind of systematized it so that um I mean, we, we're doing a lot of the similar, similar houses here in Utah at kind of entry, entry level. And we're, we're doing the same, trying to do as much of the same stuff in every single house so that it cuts down on the decision fatigue that, that we have. That's perfect, man. The decision fatigue, that's a, that is a real thing. That actually is really um, familiar to our folks. Decision fatigue is a, is a thing in the fire service as well, where, um, it just wears you out. And after a while, you just kind of like, you kind of give up on the thing. But um, the other nice thing about kind of doing those entry level houses and doing it all the same, like you guys know exactly what you want to put in these houses. And then you have the ability to scale because you can buy bulk uh, appliances, you can buy bulk paint or tile or whatever you're putting into your homes, you can buy those at, at scale, which you wouldn't get yeah. kind of do a different plan for every single house. So I have that right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so now that we've, we've sort of worked with the same contractors from the beginning, when we walk a house, it's so much easier because there's just, instead of 40 different decisions, there's five different decisions and it's, how do you want this to lay out? There's, there's very few new things that pop up. And, and so it's much easier to, to scale and it's just, it's easy, it's easier than it was when we started. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it, it seems like it would be easier also, Caleb, to like uh, do your underwriting, meaning you're going to know right away what, you know, this house at 123 Main Street is going to cost to rehab if you've been doing it for this long now and you have your systems in place. Exactly. It, I count how many bathrooms there are. There's usually one kitchen. I'm going in and looking at each component. Do I need to update the electrical? I'm going to have to do the carpet in every house. I'm going to have to do new flooring. Am I doing the roof? Am I doing windows? And now that I have, I, I think we've done almost, I think we've done 60 flips. So now that I have 60, 60 flips of, I have historical data, I can go back and I can get my numbers really, really close to, I mean, at first my, my budgets were, I was way over. I was overextending ourselves and just not doing great at it. And now I'm really dialing it in and I'm pretty, pretty darn close each time. That's awesome. It seems to me that that is probably the most important step of flipping is understanding exactly what your numbers are. That seems like it's the most important, but also probably the hardest to do well early on. Uh, yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, because on a flip, there's really three components that you need to, you need to understand how much is it going to cost me? Well, and let's split that out because you have how much it's going to cost me. But then inside of that, you have like your soft cost of what are my holding costs? I'm, do I have this money just sitting, sitting aside or am I borrowing money from investors, home equity line of credit? Um, and then lastly, what am I going to sell it for? And I mean, you can, I'm pretty good at that, but right now with the market we're in, it's so hard to know in four months from right now, what is this house going to be worth? And, and for the most part, it's been going up and I probably lose out on too many deals because I'm too conservative and only looking 
at the numbers right now, but I don't want to be the guy that's stuck with 10 houses when, when the market starts to come back down. And I was so aggressive because I wanted to get deals. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an art and trying to, trying to balance that with, I want to stay busy. I want to make money. I want my guys to stay busy. It's, it's a juggling, juggling act. Um, but it gets easier after you get more repetition on each aspect. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think especially if you're taking on investors, you want to conservatively underwrite all these things. So you're not stuck holding the bag when the market does change because the market is going to change, whether it's today, tomorrow, next month, or next year, the market is going to drop. And we saw this in 2008, 2009, where there were flippers back then that got stuck over, um, overly aggressive or overly extended. And then they got stuck holding all these properties, which wound up going into foreclosure. But I guess I want to just circle back really quick. Like, how did you get into the flipping business in the first place? I mean, you're sitting here now, five years in, 60 flips under your belt. But back back then, like, how did you get started in this thing? Um, I mean, on a flip, there's really three components that you need to you need to understand. How much is it going to cost me? Well, and, and let's split that out because you have how much it's going to cost me. But then inside of that, you have like your soft cost of what are my holding costs? Uh, I'm, do I have this money just setting, sitting aside or am I borrowing money from investors, home equity line of credit? Um, and then lastly, what am I gonna sell it for? And I mean, you can, I'm pretty good at that, but right now with the market we're in, it's so hard to know in four months from right now, what is this house gonna be worth? And, and for the most part, it's been going up and I probably lose out on too many deals because I'm too conservative and only looking at the numbers right now, but I don't want to be the guy that's stuck with 10 houses. It, it all started because I was burnt out from, from my day job. I was, I was working 50 or 60 hours. I was in the middle of getting my CPA and I was not having fun in life. And I just needed, I needed an, an escape that wasn't, that wasn't illegal and what what i found was uh somehow i got led to to real estate and i just started devouring as many podcasts and was just and quickly found out that i really liked flipping that that seemed appealing to me um buy and hold just wasn't just wasn't my thing right at first and so i really focused on that for about a couple months and told my wife that we were going to do it and she said no and I, I had no intention of, of listening to her because I felt really confident that after all this um, I don't know kind of practice that I had done and of underwriting and listening and reading and I was confident that we could do it so I cashed out my 401k um, I told her after the fact and and then I started I, I started looking and I said, we were going to, we're going to do it. And she was, and she wasn't on board until we had done like two flips. And so I, it was all, all me. I don't, I don't recommend anyone do, do this, but looking back, like I had, I, I still feel like I had to do that to pull her along. And now she's, and now she's an integral part of big home buyers. Oh my God. That's amazing. Uh, we had Joe Kennedy and his wife Bree on the morning meeting recently, and he actually did a similar thing, which guys, 
nobody recommends. I think what Caleb's saying is you have to have a little bit of selective hearing loss. When your wife is telling you no and you're still <laughs> plowing ahead, it's selective hearing loss. But what Joe did is he bought the worst house on the best block that they could afford in a ski resort area in Southern California. And uh, or actually, uh, it was their, their primary residence, actually, best house or worst house in the best neighborhood. And when he brought Bree to see the house, she broke down in tears. Um, fast forward for them, they're also now crushing it and doing great. But it's that initial step that's like very scary. And you do have to get that significant other on board or it is going to be a nightmare. Um, and I'm happy to hear that you guys are now totally tracking together because that could be really tough. Um, so now today, how are you finding deals? Um, what's a target hold period? What, what are some of the margins that you're looking for? Can you just walk us through some of the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'd say we've got about 80% of our deals have come from wholesalers. Uh, a wholesaler in, in flipping terms is, is someone that gets the property under contract and they email, text, they, they blast it out to their cash buyers list. And I'm on a lot of cash buyers list and you go and walk the property and, and submit your highest and best offer. And these are all off market properties. So I, I'd say about 75 to 80% of the deals that I've bought have come from these guys. All they're doing is getting under contract and assigning it. So they don't buy it. Um, but they are, they are doing a lot of work because they're negotiating they're finding the deal. And so they're, I mean, it's valuable and, and I'm buying it. I'm still buying it at a discount. It's, it's much better than buying it from the MLS. So we've done a lot that way. We've, we've got, we've sourced some deals ourselves from Facebook ads, uh, mailers, uh, PPC, um, ringless voicemail worked for us for, for a while, uh, referrals. And, and we bought a few off, off MLS. Um, so, so that's, that's how we're finding deals. Um, I, my role in the company, I still take that on and I'm spending probably 70% of the time doing, doing that just because it's so competitive right now. Um, our, our bread and butter flip will take us from beginning to end will take us three months. Um, and so we buy it. It takes us five weeks to rehab because we're not doing, I don't like doing gut jobs. They're, um, they're more than paint and carpet, but they're not tearing everything down. Um, these are 35 to $40,000 rehabs, five weeks, and then we're listing it and, and we're out. And so we're between juggling, um, cause right now we, I think we have six projects going on. So juggling contractors, we usually don't start for a few weeks after we buy it, rehab it, list it under contract in and out in 90 days. And at a minimum, and I, every market is different, we wanna, we wanna make at least 25,000 on each flip. If the house is, if I think the house is going to sell for um, over 250,000, then I want at least a 10%, 10% of the ARV in profit so sell it for three hundred fifty thousand. i want to make at least thirty five thousand on that flip that makes perfect sense so it's, for folks that aren't from the utah market and um where you are it's less important to know like 
you're selling a house for 250,000, 350,000, like what that buys here is going to look a lot different than what you're going to buy out in your market. The key is that 10% mark, uh, that 10% margin. But I want to just circle back really quick. You're talking about wholesaling and off, off market deals and that sort of stuff. Like, how do you, how do you know if a wholesaler is legit? A lot of times a wholesaler for folks that are listening, aren't that familiar. Wholesalers can kind of come and go. They're like fly by night. They, they, you know, aren't that trustworthy. They're pretty shady characters. How do I know if I'm approached by a wholesaler with this great off market deal um, that they actually are who they say they are? They actually know how to run numbers, something that's going to fit my investment profile. How do I, how do I like vet a wholesaler? Um, <laughs> I mean, I can, we could talk about hours for this because I, I mean, that's what I deal with every, every day. And in, in Utah, the, um, there are, I mean, there's probably 10, 10 wholesalers that are dominating the market that are doing 80 to 90% of the, of the deals. And so, I mean, everyone knows them. And so there's, I'd say there's less, there's less vetting of them, but more vetting of their numbers because they're in the business to make as much money as possible. They make the most money possible by getting, by sending it out at, 150,000 and getting someone to pay them 200,000 because there's a, a bidding war. And so the, the, the way that I do it is that normally when they send an email, they usually, they'll put in what they're asking for, how much the house needs and repairs and what the house can sell for. They usually stretch the truth as much as possible to say it's going to sell for X uh, my wife is a realtor and so I have access to all the comps and I'll, I'll do my own research and, and usually, usually they're five to $10,000, maybe, maybe more under what, what I think realistically it should sell for. Um, and so I'm, I don't, I'm just, I just have to fact check everything. I, I never take their word for it. I think that's a surefire way to, to lose money on a, on a deal because they have no, if, if you don't, if, if you end up losing money on the deal, it really doesn't matter to them. It just means you won't be a buyer for them in the future and they'll find some other sucker to, to, to over, overpay. So, um, there's, there's less vetting of wholesalers and more just running your own numbers and coming up with what makes sense for, for your company to offer. If that makes sense. I think that's true in any investment, right? You have to do your own due diligence, whether it's a flip with a wholesaler or it's uh, an investment in the stock market or whatever. You have to do your own due diligence. Nobody's going to hold your hand through this thing. But at some point, you get your information, you've vetted it to the extent that you can. And at some point, you're going to have to prove to the wholesaler that you can perform and you can actually close. So I think there, it's like a you know, combination of a couple of things happening there. But um, I notice a lot of wholesalers, they'll say, hey, this prop, I got this great property over here. All it takes is paint and new carpet. It never comes down to just paint and new carpet. It's always other things, right? So if you're no. in getting into flipping, if you're interested in working with a wholesaler, like Caleb's saying, guys, just do your own due diligence. It's never just paint and carpet. There's going to be other things that you're going to have to uh, set aside reserves for uh, in order to fix that place up. Now, um, speaking of that, 
do you have do you have a favorite mistake, Caleb, that you've made over the course of your investing career that you're willing number one you're willing to share, um, but then also something you maybe learned from or got better by? Um, yeah, um, I when I think of that question, I think oftentimes I've been too conservative, not 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 too conservative on like my ARV estimates, what I think it can sell for, but too conservative, just not not taking as many risks. Um, when I've been presented with opportunities to, when I'm direct to seller, when someone has responded to my marketing and I go out, I go to their house, I meet with them, I understand what their problems are, I understand what they want for their property, and I'm trying to help. More often than not, we can't come to an agreement on, on price. Usually that's what it comes down to. And I wish that I would have, honestly, I wish I would have gotten on a contract and done with the, done what these wholesalers do and send out to their list because you just don't know what someone else is willing to pay, especially in a highly competitive market like, like we're in. So that's, that's something that I regret and I'm trying to do better. Um, never in a way to, never in a way to be deceitful with, with the seller. And I'm open and honest and say, Hey, I am not sure that this price is going to work for, for me. Give me five days. And if I can't, if I can't do it, then I'll, I'll back out and you're, you're obviously welcome to sell to whomever you want. So that's, I wish, I wish I would have been a little more tenacious and, and taken on more, more risks because you just, you just don't know. And as long as there's some sort of diligence clause in your contract, there, there is no risk for, the, for that time period. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. We are in the business of, of risk mitigation, hazard mitigation in our line of work, Caleb, and, and we are constantly doing this risk benefit analysis. And there are times where it's a, just a no-go situation. We can't, we can't mitigate all the risks, no matter how much due diligence we've done. And so it, for us, we just back out and we, we, we have to stand by. I think though, that as you do this more and more, talking about the flipping business for folks listening, and you can tighten up those numbers a little bit more, then you maybe become more comfortable extending yourself a little bit, knowing that you can still perform on the back end. And so while, yeah, it may feel like you missed out on opportunities um, because you didn't take more risk, you're still here to fight another day. So in reality, it's not that big of a deal. But I do want to circle back. Um, you mentioned ARV. Can you just sh uh, share exactly what ARV is for folks? Yeah, uh, ARV is after repair value. It's just after the house is flipped, what should it sell for? So it's basically what the market will will return after you've done all the repairs that you're scheduling. Yep, exactly. Um, if somebody's really interested in this, Caleb, um, where would you send them to get started? Or what would you recommend for them to get started in a flipping type business? I mean, I, I, I think podcast, honestly, there's so, there's so many that focus on flipping specifically that like on your drive to work, when you're at the gym, put it on two times speed and you can listen to so many so quickly and you hear from, you're listening to people that are doing 50, 60, a hundred houses a year and you can just understand their processes there's their systems and all you do is still still from them that's all i that's all i've done i haven't i haven't invented anything 
new and because it doesn't need to be real real estate and flipping has been here for so long and so that's what i would suggest is listen to podcasts go to if if in your area there's uh real estate meetups go to those find people that are actually doing deals and model 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 them yeah that's perfect i had luke manns on the morning meeting he was saying the exact same thing spend the first 10 minutes of your day or 15 minutes of your day on your driving to work just listening to a podcast find something that suits your needs and borrow or steal their ideas i mean they, it's not like they invented this thing they borrowed and stole it from somebody else so you know that's part of the learning process get it, gathering all this information and 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 that's you know once you've gotten all the information do exactly like caleb did with the rigby home buyers and just go out there and jump in at some point you got to just jump um now just kind of wrapping up your first alarm if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice you know if you were going to start this thing all over again what would that be what advice would you give yourself if you're starting over honestly i think i probably just would have started earlier um yeah i think i think while i i'm grateful that i got in um i i think i spent too much time on the sideline and just felt like i if i listen to one more thing or if i learn learn this a little better then then i'll feel comfortable and the truth is so much so many things happen as you're doing your first or second deal that you you can't plan for that so i think just getting in getting in earlier and putting um just i get running into the fire um that's that's the advice i would have given given myself but not but also you don't want to be reckless about it so there's a there's a fine line between knowing enough and and knowing that you will you will not know everything that's ever going to come up in a real estate deal yeah that's perfect and that is so uh just it's right on the money for our folks we have to operate with the best information that we have at the time but then at some point we have to just go there's nobody else coming there's nobody else answering this alarm we have to just go and we're going to do our risk benefit analysis and we're going to um, make sure that we're accounting for as many risks as we can and put in put in mitigating uh, measures to help us stay safe but at some point we have to go and we're trying to prevent that analysis paralysis that uh, Caleb's talking about. But one thing I want to just make people um, clearly understand, if you're thinking about flipping or you're thinking about buying and holding and there's somebody else in your area doing it anywhere, it means it can be done. So people might be worried about a flipping business as we're reaching the top of the real estate market. Are people in your market flipping houses? Well, it can still be done. So, Get rid of all the excuses, gather up as much information as you can, do your uh, risk benefit analysis, and then at some point, you got to just go. I just love that, Caleb, um, and I think that's a perfect way to wrap up your first alarm. So if, uh, if people are looking to learn more about you or, or want to learn more about the flipping business in general, Caleb, where could they find you? Yeah, um, probably a website, uh, rigbyhomebuyers.com. I mean, that's, and you can find me on Facebook. Um, but that's probably the best, best way. Awesome. We'll link to uh, the rigbyhomebuyers.com uh, on Facebook, Rigby Homebuyers. Uh, if you're looking to learn more about it, um, go ahead and reach out for them. Reach out to them. But uh, yeah, Caleb, I want to just thank you for all the advice you've uh, shared with us today, all the great information about flipping houses. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for your time today. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Kyle.
All right, thanks again, Caleb, for meeting me here in the bullpen. Guys, if you're interested in getting into the flipping business, make sure that you listen to exactly what Caleb said and make sure that you have your numbers completely dialed. The worst thing that you can do is get in over your head and then when you go to try to sell, you can't sell because you're overpriced. If you'd like to learn more about Caleb, you can find him on Facebook at Rigby Home Buyers or on their website, rigbyhomebuyers.com. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can find us on Facebook at The Firehouse. That's f.i.r.house. On Instagram, the underscore fire underscore house. On LinkedIn, The Firehouse Investors or any place you listen to podcasts. If you learned something today and you'd like to hear more, please like, share, and subscribe. But no matter what you do, take this information, go out there, and get some. Station F.